0: jordan and welcome to his film her movie the podcast that is the answer to the question to what lengths will you go to to get your significant other to watch some movies that you love our setup is simple we pick a new theme each episode and then both must choose a film dictated by that theme i'm joined by lauren my lovely (laughs) wife And yes, that's the show. Yay! It's been a couple of weeks since we've last did it. Yes, it has been a couple of weeks. But it's a bit of a milestone, I think.
1: It is a milestone for us, yes.
0: It is the 50th episode.
1: It is. I can't it... believe this is 50
0: episodes that we've done so far. I mean, we probably, we technically probably should have had about 80 recorded by now, <laughs> but we had the most... We're very
1: relaxed. (laughs) this is something that we like to... Relaxed,
0: (laughs) lazy, lazy, relaxed.
1: This is something that we like to do for fun. Yes. We never like to... We never want to come on and sound like we've forced ourselves to record because sometimes I feel like you can tell that.
0: Sometimes.
1: Like, sometimes you'll listen to a podcast and you'll be like, do you know what, these guys just can't be bothered this week. I
0: mean, let's be serious. We've booked two full-time jobs... We've got other things, but however... We have a cat, have a cat.
1: constantly wants attention.
0: <laughs> but I think we're going to try and be a hell of a lot more regular in the future. We've made that sort of commitment to ourselves. Yes. So it will be better than once a month. Yes. But 50th episode, celebratory. I didn't say that word right, but... Celebratory.
1: I can't. No, no, no I don't. Yeah.
0: Celebratory episode. Yeah, you did say yeah, it right. Yeah. It's an anniversary. Yes. So what what did we think we'd do for our 50th episode?
1: Well, we decided to do films that were 50 years old. Yes. So the two films that we've picked are from 1971. Yeah. They turned 50 this year. I know. You know, very good with the maths. Don't yes. ask me to do any more because it'll <laughs> probably fail. Uh, so they turned 50 in 2021. Yep. Um. And it's a bit of fun. i picked a film that I feel like probably pretty much everybody knows. You have picked a film that I did not know.
0: As is the course of this podcast mostly. Yeah,
1: pretty much Lauren picking stuff that people already know and Jordan picking random stuff. Yeah, but that's
0: <laughs> why you love me. Yes. So what did you pick?
1: I picked the absolute classic uh, 1971 Mel Stewart Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Yes. And what did you pick?
0: I picked the first instalment. Well, instalment is the first of three paranoia pictures that Alan J. Pakula directed, and it is the Donald Sutherland, James Fonda starring Clute.
1: I, I thought that was his second film.
0: No, it was, it was his second film. It was his first film within this... Oh, okay. He, so, he made three Paranoia films, like, back-to-back. Back. He made this, The Parallax View, and then All the Presidents Men.
1: Oh, okay, but this was the second film that he directed.
0: I believe so, yeah.
1: Okay, that is cool.
0: But do we have anything that we need to talk about?
1: Um, I do not think that we have any housekeeping. I think... We are all
0: good. Yeah, as always, we are a podcast of Pod Syndicate. Yes. and um, We are podsyndicate.com is the website. There's some great shows over there, film, beer, pop culture, 80s people, things.
1: People who have their shit together are a lot better than we do.
0: Yeah, they, if, you, if you like nice weekly episodes, then great place to go.
1: Yes, yes.
0: However, I think we might as well get into the show. So what? film should we do first?
1: I think that we should start with mine because yep. mine is one that everybody kind of knows. Okay. Nice easy film ease people in and then we go into yours which is a bit bit more
0: Okay. It's
1: just more
0: Let it go Now, come.
1: coats, galoshes over here. But hurry please we have so much time and so little to see Wait a minute.
2: Strike that Reverse it Thank you when do i get my chocolate
0: first take off your coat violet boy what weird looking coat hangers little surprises around every corner but nothing dangerous
1: don't be alarmed and as soon as your outer vestments are in hand we'll begin now will the children kindly step out here
0: Floods, fire, of frippery. Accidents?
2: What kind of accidents? I didn't know we had to sign anything for this tour. I can't see what it says in the bottom. Violet, you first. Sign here. Hold it. Let me through here, you kids. Violet, baby, don't you sign anything there. What's this all about? Standard form of contract. Don't talk to me about contracts, Wonka. I use them myself. They're strictly for suckers. Yes, but you wouldn't begrudge me a little protection. A drop.
1: Okay, so I picked the 1971 film Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, uh, directed by G, uh, Mel Stewart, and of course has the absolute icon that is Gene Wilder as Willy Wonka. Now, when we decided discussing that we were going to do films that were 50 years old this year... Um, I just I usually do when we start discussing a topic because Jordan likes to use fancy words and sometimes he'll say things and I'll be like, okay, I don't know a film of that theme. Yeah, so I just Google it. <laughs> um and then it usually comes up with a big list of films and i'm like oh i actually do know a load of these films i've just maybe not thought of them in that google way is
0: everybody's best friend it
1: is definitely my best friend i you you ask me things and i'll be like yeah i'll think of a film of that and then i google it and go actually i do know films of that um so i was actually really pleased when it came up that this turned 50 this year because um and I'm sure I'm not the only person. This is a, a film I remember watching as a young child. Yeah. I loved Roald Dahl. Roald Dahl was one of the things that I um, learned to read with, as he was the original author mm-hmm. of Willy Wonka, um, reading the books along with tapes. Yeah. So this has a very special place for me. Um and I hadn't seen it in quite a long time. It's one of those films that it, it's always on, on like a Sunday afternoon and you maybe
0: It's one of those where it used to be on like school holidays, yeah, Christmas, Easter. Easter.
1: Definitely Easter. Yeah. So that's another reason why I was quite pleased about it coming up because it will be something that I think in the past 12 months, people will have maybe introduced their kids to it or gone back. To it um and just to be able to like look at it today little things really jumped out at me mm-hmm. um looking at it in a more analyzing way um first off i had to google where it was filmed yeah and it was filmed in munich and the reason that they filmed it in munich was because um mel didn't want anybody to go that's new york That's San Francisco. He wanted the film to have a very timeless quality. And I feel like when you watch it, in some ways it does, and in some ways it doesn't. I feel like you could look you look at that, you look at the setting of the film, and it is you know that's European.
0: Absolutely. It's when Charlie's walking through the town, it is very much the the bog standard European like, Architecture, I everything. thought it was parts
1: of Prague where we had yeah. been, because I was like, I feel like we've seen parts like that. I've seen documentaries and parts mm. like that. Um, so I really like, and I feel like when you look at it, it, it makes sense. Mm. Um, it's, in an old, it's set in an old enough kind of place where if you went there now, you walked on the same street, and they're probably still going to look exactly the same because they were really old to begin with. Yeah. Um, but then... For me, um, watching it, the thing that really hits me first is the very, when you look at the cast, there is American, there is English, there is German, and there's, um, I believe they just call it a general European accent, a foreign accent in there. And as a child, I never noticed this, but as I get older, I was like, what I what country is this set in? Yeah, yeah. it was it kind of threw me a little bit um as well as that as being um there's like little comments all the way through that I found quite funny nowadays for example when um uh when you're in Salt's dad's factory. And he says, for anybody who finds a golden ticket to the workers, he says you get an extra one pound in your pay packet. So do you know how much that would be nowadays? Oh god, no. £13.50. Well, there we are. So <laughs> it buy you it. A... There's
0: plenty of things that I do for 13 quid.
1: <laughs> Shelling chocolate bars yeah. being one of them. <laughs> The actual story itself I feel like it I feel like it doesn't really need much of an introduction for anybody who doesn't not. know five golden tickets to go visit Willy Wonka's chocolate factory kids get them fifth one got by Charlie Bucket and he goes to the chocolate factory yeah. and adventures happen yes so re-watching this now?
0: Can I ask a question?
1: Yeah.
0: Is there anything that shocked you watching it as a, a, an adult? Because I think I have seen this film as an adult maybe a few years ago now, but even there's certain sequences within this movie, which I don't think should be shown to children, um, and there's one in particular... Um, which is a famous, famous scene. Is it
1: the boat ride? Which is the
0: boat scene, because that is nightmare fuel. And it's not only nightmare fuel because of the the editing and the lights and the way Gene Wilder delivers the performance, Mm -hmm. but some of the imagery in that scene, like not only only is there insects crawling over people's face, there's a decapitated chicken in there. Yes. And I'm like, this is a PG? And I watched this when I was
1: can i can Four i ask when when you watch this cuz i feel like um who who do you know who got you the film to watch do you no, know who, to be honest
0: it was probably on like a bbc or an itv or I, didn't I just watch it with a family
1: i i remember it was my it was my grandparents right. it was nan and papa who got me this film cuz papa remembered it and thought it was great um and we never thought anything about it None of it ever scared me. Now I look at it and I'm like, oof, yeah, I get that. Um... Uh, Will there any be any bits that I would say no? No. Because I am the biggest scaredy cat I know. And I watched this film and I was fine as a child. It never freaked me out. Um but then you, you watch it as an adult and you've got, you know, the story, you know, what's going to happen. And I feel like that little scary bit is very much, you have all the fun and all the, you've you've just been in a room where everything is edible. You have all this goodness. And I feel like it's a little bit, Bit of foresight I and mean, with all this good there has to be something bad mm-hmm. that goes along with it you've just seen all this wonder and all this amazement but it's maybe a little bit of a shock a little bit of a bring you back down to earth because that it's not like that everywhere and there will be awful things that happen and scary things and gross things and yeah I, no i, I still I, there's there's nothing in it that i wouldn't show to kids I feel that yeah, you maybe could have done that a bit differently.
0: No, I don't think do it differently. I just think it's it's just one of those shocking things because it's meant to be scary and it is scary. It's not like out of place.
1: But then you look at like Disney. You have uh, like the Lion King, and you have um, Mufasa dying when that when you're a kid that can be yeah. seen as scary. You have um, uh, Hercules, and the scary things in that just because it's. I think Live it's, action. I, mean, I think I
0: think for me, it's just mostly the decapitated like literally you see a you see a chicken get its head chopped off. Yes, that's and, true. And I'm just like, wow, like really wow. I c I couldn't remember that. It's less it's less than a second, but it happens. I went back and checked that it did happen. It's not it like did a, happen. it's not like a dream. And, but um, yeah, it's it's so interesting. Um because it just it feels so not part of that movie.
1: 70s were been, a crazy time. It it's probably the most,
0: one of the most famous scenes in
1: it. Yes. 70s were a crazy time, though.
0: Yeah. Well, right after the 60s, really. I mean, it's psychedelics.
1: It is. It's literally... Maybe that's maybe that's what it's supposed to be. Maybe it's meant to be like a bad trip. Maybe. You know? The people who had all those trips in the 70s and now the people who've got kids and are taking them to go see... Willy Wonka, and it's like, oh, remember that really bad bit of acid that you took and you saw this kind of crazy stuff? Well, now we're going to show it to your kids, but in like a safe way.
0: Yeah. What did you think about the stuff before you get to the chocolate factory?
1: Oh, I could have an absolute, I could have an whole episode on Grandpa Joe. <laughs> that man? No. <laughs> no. He doesn't help out at home. He stays in bed all day. He doesn't even get up to go to the, for a wee. And yet the minute he gets a chance to go to a Chocolate Factory, he's bounding up and he's jumping around and everything. He, mate, he, somebody in that house buys him tobacco every week and he makes no money. He is a scrounger. And I think Charlie should have taken his mum because his mum needed a day off. Oh, that's
2: true. She needed
1: a day to go and see something wonderful and something lovely and enjoy herself. Um, the fact that like they all share that tiny little piece of chocolate mm. each. Can you imagine his mum going and be like, I can just have a bar of chocolate to myself? <laughs> I'm sure there are plenty of parents out there who've spent the past 12 months having to hide snacks and share things with kids and to be able to go into a room where your kids can just run around and have a great time and you can be like, Do you know what I'm gonna sit over here and just just watch, just relax, and I'm gonna eat this buttercup to myself.
0: Yeah, and I, I mean I think as well, it's I think it's meant to be like this as well, is the fact is the film, for me, doesn't really get going until you get to the chocolate factory. No, it doesn't. And it, it is rather slow and dour, and it has and there's been this like a, a song "Cheer Up, Charlie," which is just so depressing, depressing and dull. And it's just like you know, and that's why I was just I was egging the film to. I get feel to the like there's factory. too
1: many songs before you get to the chocolate factory. But
0: there is, there's the sweet, uh, well, there's a sweet um, seller who is the worst businessman in the history of the world.
1: Yeah, he just it, gives kids it, stuff for free. Well, actually, no. No, we don't know if he gives stuff, kid, kids stuff for free.
0: He just thought he throws it about he, willy-nilly. He
1: throws it about willy-nilly, but he still makes that kid buy a bar of chocolate.
0: It is true. So
1: he might not let them leave until they've all paid their tab.
0: <laughs> and, and the thing that's me it was uh, I was just waiting for the chocolate factory part to begin and it took a quite a while it takes quite a long time for it but as soon as it does it's transfixed you like how you have that little
1: Song like the little Charlie in the Chocolate Factory sort of tune as they're entering. Yeah. is when Gene Wilder does his first song and it's like that little do-do-do, like on the piano, really light and sort of tinkly. And I feel like as soon as you hear that and that door opens, that is when the film
0: begins. Well, and that's when all like the, the, the joy begins. I mean, I think, I mean, I've Got a Golden Ticket is a great musical number it's it's just so full of vigor and joy and it's got a great rhythm to it Mm -hmm. but yeah it's once you get to that chocolate factory in gene wilder who not only like the costume design is iconic yes it is so well crafted and so well put against he again he feels the chocolate factory in him feel completely different compared to the rest of the world out there. Mm-hmm. It's it's this world of wonder and a world of magic of umpa-lumpers and everlasting gobstoppers and things like that. Yeah. And what I like about Jim Wilder as well is he even though he's in this kids movie and he could have sort of amped, amped it up. And again, when we when we get to say the remake with, with Tim Burton and Johnny Depp and whatever. Like, Gene Wilder is fully conscious of whatever is happening and he is one of, I didn't really realise, but one of the most passive-aggressive
1: characters. Oh, God,
0: yeah. He he dislikes the people.
1: Everything. He dislikes everybody.
0: And it's just sort of like, just the little snarks that he has, which I think adults will get and kids won't.
1: Yeah, I think as well, like, you watch him and... For me, I know I know Gene Wilder from this. Yeah. And then I saw him in, like, his other comedy sort of stuff. I prefer him in this. I think I do prefer him as a straight actor like this. And I think I prefer him in this just because when he's doing comedy, he's very good at it. He's he's a wonderful acting. He's big and over the top and he does all kinds of things. But when he's playing more of a straight character... You kind of, it's the mannerisms, the way he holds himself. I feel like he, I don't know, like he embodies the character more. It's like you said, he's very passive aggressive. And he just like little things like with how he like calls people for him, like the movement of even like his hand and his wrist and the raise of the eyebrow. And there's so much more to it. And yes, it's just a kid's film, but I just feel like i I do, I do prefer him. in something like this, because everything else I've seen in him has been so over the top, and it's like, oh, it's barrel
0: laughs and everything. Jim Wilder's really remembered for two two things. Not he's a a huge career, but it's Willie Wonka, and it's his work with Mel Brooks. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, Don't be wrong, I mean, I I sort of grew up on Mel Brooks as a teen, not as a kid, because obviously it's a bit more adult. But I say, I do love Jim Wilder in there, and his work with Richard Pryor as well. Mm -hmm. Um, See No Evil, He No Evil is Brilliant, so so funny, um. But yeah, I I think is that's the thing is I do like this film, but I think you've got to get past the first what fifty minutes to get to the chocolate factory.
1: Yeah, just okay. You don't even need to watch it. All right, he he gets he looks for a golden ticket. A bunch of other kids get a golden ticket. He doesn't think he gets one. Then he gets one. Grandpa Joe shows that he's a faker, and then they go to the chocolate factory. There you go. Don't now need to watch the first bit. I've just told you what happens.
0: That's just it. just
1: fast forward to the when they are at the gates.
0: And it's it's the set design as well. The set design yes. in the in the chocolate factory stuff. When they go to the um, chocolate river and the room where you can eat everything, it's just it is. When you're watching it again, when you watch these seventies films, and again, if when we saw, saw we maybe first watched them in. The late eighties, early nineties mm-hmm. VHS of terrible. When you watch them now in like full HD, mm-hmm. it just bursts off the screen.
1: I am. Um, I always loved when they go into the chocolate factory, and they have where they hang their coats and their hats, and it's obviously just people's yeah. hands through the wall and like gold gloves. But I kind of love that. I, I I I'm a big fan of not using cgi i'm a big fan of like physical yeah, props yeah. and special effects is that way because i just think you've just got to maybe think a little bit more outside the box rather than just making whatever you thought of mm. work in a computer you've got to be like well, how would a person work this? how would yeah. they get into it and i just that's what i really like and i feel like yeah Willy wonka has a lot of it's got a lot of unusual machines and it's candy and all kinds of different things that I think is really good fun. And the prop design probably had a lot of fun making all yeah. this stuff. And um, you you briefly mentioned the Tim Burton remake. Yeah. Do you have any sort of because for me, I, I obviously I, I grew up on the books as well. So to me, the Tim Burton remake. Uh, Johnny Depp actually plays the character more like what he is in the book. Mm. Um, He's a bit of a broken person in the book and it kind of matches a little bit more. He's, he's, he, Roald Dahl never made a story that was 100% happy. It was always kind of creepy yeah, yeah. in some ways. Um, And I did read that uh, while... Gene Wilder doesn't like make remake, doesn't like remakes. He's like, you've made the film, you've made it once, you don't need to do it again. And he has said that he's not a fan of Tim Burton films. Yeah. He had, he was apparently a fan of Johnny Depp's interpretation. Oh. He did like it. He said that it was different and it was fun, but he's just not a fan of
0: Tim Burton. Well, for me, I mean, I've only ever seen it once when he came out in the cinema and... um. <sighs> And it, come, it came into a phase. Normally I am still in this phase. I'm not a huge fan of Tim Burton. Mm-hmm. Like Tim Burton post like Edward, which was like 95-ish. Everything becomes very Tim
1: Burton-ish.
0: It, it, it becomes very, his. people always throw about like he's this auteur. He's this, but, but to be honest, it's, I always argue against that because it's he's just purely visual. Mm-hmm. Like he doesn't look at a film as... I want to tell this story. He wants to say, I want to make this look like every other film that I do.
1: Yeah. Even if
0: it's not part of that story.
1: Yeah. And whilst I do like how he makes things look, I like the sort of slight gothic sort of way that he does things. I like how it's a bit different and a bit fun. Um, I do feel like I maybe prefer his more cartoon side. Of, of I mean, how he does that, when he does animation and that sort of
0: thing. It, it's when he it doesn't go too overboard. Like, when you think about his, thinking, i mean I'm a big fan of the first two Batmans. Yes.
1: Beetlejuice
0: is great. Love Edward it. Scissorhands is great. Edward, yes. you know what I mean, where the, his style was there, but then his style just goes so over-the-top quirky.
1: It's like, I'm going to be Tim Burton, Tim Burton. It becomes a
0: parody of himself. Yes. So, yeah. But, hey. But, uh, yeah. Anything else you wanted to say about Willy Wonka? Um,
1: not, not really. I read, like, I, by, before we started, I was reading, like, loads of different trivia. So, like, little things like the chocolate river was chocolate it was like chocolate and water and cream and apparently oh, wow. it then started to go off and stank the place out you think so? um like the the daffodil cup that really Wonka, like Jim wilder was made out of wax and it tasted disgusting so you had to just keep on spitting it out between takes um on the ways like the tv room when you know like the the cars like filled with foam it was the foam that they used in um fire extinguishers yeah um, they didn't actually realise that everybody ended up having like really bad reactions to it, and had like really like all were all swollen up, so all the cast like really ill after filming it. I feel like the sort of stuff was oh, and then um, was it uh Violet and Veruca both had a crush on um uh Charlie. All right, and um, so. The, Every they apparently like if they didn't they also had a crush on the uh on on the director's son. All right. So if one of them was sitting with Charlie, the other one would go and sit with the other, and vice versa. So I just I like it. The stuff that I sort of read about it, it seems like it was probably quite a fun yeah thing to film. Um, my last little bit is at the start when you see the chocolate factory, it's the Toblerone factory.
2: Ah. So
1: that is the actual factory that they filmed in. And I quite like the fact that they went and they filmed it in like a nice fancy factory because you look at it and I'm always trying to guess what the chocolates are that they're making. So. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, yeah, that is Willy Wonka. Um, we'll have a short break and then we'll be back with my choice, Alan Shaper Cooler's Clued. This podcast you're listening to, pretty good, isn't it? Only problem is, it's about halfway through. Pretty soon, it'll be over. And then what are you going to do? Well, if you're a fan of this show, why not head over to WeArePodSyndicate.com and subscribe to our brand new feed, Pod Syndicate: The Bonus Shows. Every week, your hosts from Beyond the Neon, Chinstroker vs. Punter, Entertainment Landfill, Film Bastards, his film, her movie, and What's On Tap will be dropping bonus shows right onto that feed. These shows might be collaborations and crossovers, or they might be archive episodes, interviews, one-offs, and other treats from across the Pod Syndicate network. So, prepare yourself for the inevitable disappointment of this Pod Syndicate show ending by heading to wearepodsyndicate.com and clicking on the bonus shows.
2: We now return you to your regularly scheduled Pod Syndicate podcast. How are you today? I'm not going to be able to come back anymore. Oh, I'm sorry. Because I just can't afford it. Did I fail you, Bree? Well, I mean, I've been coming here all this time and I've been paying you all this money and why do I still want a trick? Why do I still walk by a phone and want to pick up the phone and call? Did you think I had some magic potion? You'd come in and tell me what your problem was and I would just take it away? What's the difference between going out on a call as a model or as an actress or as a call girl? You're successful as a call girl. You're not successful. Because when you're a call girl, you control it. That's why. Because... Someone wants you, not me. I mean, there are some Johns that I have regularly that want me, and that's terrific. But they want a woman, and I know I'm good, and I arrive at their hotel or their apartment, and they're usually nervous, which is fine because I'm not. I know what I'm doing. And for an hour, for an hour, I'm the best actress in the world and the best fuck in the world, and... Why'd you say you're the best actress in the world at that time? Oh, because it's an act. That's what's nice about it. You don't have to feel anything. You don't have to care about anything. You don't have to like anybody. You just... uh, You just lead them by the ring in their nose in the direction that they think they want to go in. And you get a lot of money out of them in as short a period of time as possible. And uh, and you control it and you call the shots. And I always feel just great afterwards.
0: We are back. So my choice, Clute, Alan J. Pakula's first paranoia picture of the 70s, as I said before, it was followed by the Parallax View, which had Warren Beatty, and then... Uh, all the President's Men with Robert Redford, Dustin Hoffman. And this one tells the story of Clute, whose friend goes missing in New York City. Mm-hmm. Um, he is a small-town PI, really, who's then asked to go and try and look for him. Now, he only really has one lead, who is Bree Daniels, played by Jim Fonda, who is a wanna be actress, wanna be model, but also part-time sex worker in New York City. And it's an interesting one because the film's called clute but it is much more about Bree Daniels than it is Clute. And straight off the bat, I will say this is one of my favorite films ever. Top ten. And there's a few reasons for that. And it's what I like about clout is not, it's, it's very stylistic. Um, and it really does amp up that feeling of the time that coming out of the sixties, but it's also playing on society's. Yes. We've just had the quote unquote sexual revolution, but you've got to play on that and you've got to play on the, the implications of that. For example, this isn't just a missing persons case, which or like a, a missing persons movie, where that would normally be the plot. Mm-hmm. It's a missing persons film with kink, so that obviously makes it a little bit more salacious. appealing and salacious and people want to go and see it. Mm-hmm. However, what I think Clute does really well is it it sort of taps into and sort of dissects, in, in my eyes, again, you might have a complete, because you are a female watching some a male, into that sort of female psyche of of sex and worth and sort of like where you sit within that society because I think especially Jane Fonda's introduction to this movie is rather telling. Yes, because she's just on this lineup where these agents or whatever they are, um, casting agents, model agents, they're literally going down a row of attractive young women and just objectifying them Mm -hmm. and saying, you've got this, you've got that, or two big hands, two small hands, Mm -hmm. different colouring, things like that. And I like how, again, it, it plays against that, and especially with, like, Jane Fonda. Jane Fonda was the blonde bombshell sex kitten of the 60s with Barbarella. Yeah. And she went out and intentionally just cut her hair Made um, colored it a different way, cut it a completely different way, so that people wouldn't even recognize her.
1: Yeah, because I actually had difficulty recognizing her when I very first saw that. So yeah, I agree. I can. I I had a difficult time actually recognizing her to begin with because I I know her as blonde and she still is like an ash blonde now,
2: mm.
1: and that hairstyle was not the greatest on her. And I was, she was, she looked completely different to how I recognize her normally um but no i can't i I understand like where you're coming from with that um the thing is she
0: here's a question then yeah and again is it's there's there's articles written on this and things like this would you see this as a feminist picture or not No. no okay
1: i would not see it as a feminist picture i wouldn't for the fact that the character is very obviously written by a guy mm-hmm. because they try to make her three-dimensional but fail, I feel. Right. In quite a bad way. Everything just comes down to sex with her. No no matter what. So um whether it is her sex appeal for um being able to do modeling and acting uh to her being able to manipulate the men that she has sex with for money there's there's, there's no sort of it, it doesn't really it doesn't show her as being anything else yeah. um it doesn't show her being intelligent in other ways it shows her going to the therapist and um discussing how she feels and being aware of that uh but then it doesn't sort of she doesn't in any way kind of explain why she's like that her she doesn't discuss her past Mm -hmm. she doesn't discuss her future she is basically this character comes into existence as soon as this film starts and she ends when this film concludes. Clute is shown as somebody. He has friends. He has work. They discuss about how, um, you know, he's, he's worked on other cases before and he's done this. And, you know, he may not be as a private eye, but he's been, you know, in the force for a mm. long time and he's done this. This character has a past. And although we may only briefly discuss it, it's still there. He still has a past in a way. And he uh, is something that we, we do see the film from his point of view. So it does sort of then discuss, you know, the future. He is then also made to see as the kind of character who can have a future. Yeah. She is not.
0: Yeah. I'm sorry, I, do, I can see that interpretation. For me, it's, we, we see her. It is about the isolation of... And, again, it's one of those things, it's like the isolation of her situation. Mm-hmm. It's the isolation, again, of her feeling, the objectification of that world. And, like, again, it's... She tries to un-sexy herself. That's a terrible term, you know what I mean? But she tries to appeal, make herself less appealing in a way. However...
1: In, in it, what, what way do you think that she tries to
0: make well, it's, herself it's, less it, In the real life, it was the hair. Like I know this, the haircut that she did wasn't actually for Clue. That was for her personally mm-hmm. because she was like people will know me for Barbara. Where she had like this platinum blonde. Yeah, it's like bikinis, mm-hmm. whatever it was. It was like like a it was a sex sci-fi thing from the sixties. Yeah. It's iconic, but um, but for me, what I'll. I, I, I find fascinating is, and they give up this dichotomy, is in the, the first scene, one of the first scenes we see her in is when she goes on a job, she goes to see a John. Mm-hmm. Now, in that situation, she's the one with the confidence. She's the one dictating everything. She's the one who is has the power in that situation. Yes. However, she's still there to sleep with a man. Mm-hmm for money so it's like where does the actual power lie there and it's that's why i find it really interesting because i don't think there is a right and wrong answer because again in that situation the guy's all nervous and she's sort of like pushing everything the way she wants it to go and like kind of hilariously but the final shot of that is her sort of mourning beneath him and and she checks her watch,
1: watch. Uh, but at the same time, yes, she may be pushing it. But she's pushing it because the guy is nervous, and she's she, doesn't she's, want him to back out because he still holds all the all the power. She's not doing this for fun. She's doing it to survive, and mm. she's doing it to survive because she's in an industry, or she's trying to get into an industry where men there still all hold all the power.
0: Yeah,
1: so. I feel like they've tried to make her feminist, but I feel like they just haven't got a fully rounded character.
0: But that's what I mean. I know that Fonda has in interviews said like when she got this script, she was like, she was getting into the feminist movement because it obviously coming out of the six and things like that. And she was like, I can't play a prostitute because that is just fundamentally against it. But then she was like talking to people and it's like, well, if you get the truth of a character, Mm -hmm. then that is. And that's the thing is, I think is, We do see her grow. I believe we do see her grow as a character. We see her understand her place Mm -hmm. um, and not only understand her place but understand that she can trust people because I think that is her biggest issue Yes, is that she has lost all trust in all humanity and especially in male um, attention. And I think Clute, even though I think the way that, relationship develops is from a place of her just trying to get what she can do by using her body and by manipulating him however i think it goes into a a more acceptable sort of behaviors because i do think they they do have affection for each other at the i do
1: yeah i fully i fully agree i do think that they have affection for each other um the like the whole the whole prostitute redeemed woman type thing it's, it's a trope it's a trope and it became a big thing yeah. in the 70s the whole violence against women became a big thing in the 70s with films it's like um i said about how i've i've been uh reading the women in hollywood yeah. book by Helen um, O'Hara and they sort of said about in it um, screenwriter Eleanor Perry says it seems women are always getting killed and raped those are men's fantasies we're seeing right? because at the time you have all these kinds of films that are coming out and with the sexual liberation of the 60s and things are becoming a bit more open and these films do well titillation sex rape murder everything do well yeah, yeah and this is sort of like the start where it's you it, it's like it, it it's more of a modern white knight tale he comes in and she's a prostitute and he saves her from being a prostitute and he does this but and being murdered i don't mean like Clute no, no himself yeah, yeah. but it's that you have it with like pretty woman and you have it with like this sort of thing is it's it's very popular for people to uh work on um what I find very interesting throughout the film is that you have uh, brie um who is a prostitute and she's a prostitute because she she needs the money it's easy money for her um she then also goes. And I've not written down the lady's name, but one of the girls that she was working with who is now addicted to, um. dro- to heroin. And it shows it shows it in a very negative and bad light. But whilst they're looking for this woman, they start at the top of the escorts and they start with a woman who basically has a house and... She enjoys what she does. Mm. To me, that is the woman who probably would have had a more interesting story. She would have had a more feminist story behind it because here is a woman in the 70s who is running her own business. She has a house. She has in- employees, basically other women. She's making sure that they're treated right. They are looked after. They are safe. She's creating a place for women who, if they choose to go into sex work or if they have to go into it, there is somewhere where they can go and they can be safe and either make the best of a, of a bad situation that they're in or work in a good and safe environment because you got to remember at like this sort of time I think it wasn't until like the 80s that women couldn't even have like a mortgage without a man yeah. signing it behind them but,
0: but I, so I think as well as like Brie we, we, it is brought up to like uh, that was what Brie used to be yeah. she used to be she used to have an apartment on I think it was what she said, Fifth Avenue or something like that Yeah, she used to live the high life and she decided to get out and try and but no she didn't
1: she didn't decide to get out she got arrested uh, And she got arrested and she went to jail and she lost everything. And she basically just didn't want to go through that Mm. again. And she says it wasn't... She stays in it about how difficult it was for her to lose everything. And then that's why she thought, well, do you know what? I want to get into acting. I don't want to risk losing everything again. But acting is hard and modelling is hard. That's
0: what I think as well is I think it looks... I mean, obviously, and she, and she gets beat up within the film, like yeah. in the history of the movie. But, like, that's it, shows all the warts and all. Now, maybe calling it a feminist picture is is incorrect, but I think it shows the inside feelings of a woman, as in, like, the, the, the actual psychiatry of it or like, they're talking about it. And, and you, until then, we didn't really get females talking about sexing so bluntly and no. so sort of like you know what i mean it's all sort of like they're just talking like the men would talk so yeah
1: which i think is good and i think is something that does like this film needs to be able to say yes we were able to do this
2: yeah.
1: and um of course like uh what's his name the guy who oh i can't but the director's name or oh, Pakula. Yeah, so Pakula, he he was then later on seen as being a big mentor to other women mm. in film and he did support them and he did help them, not just actresses and telling stories, um, but also women behind the scenes wanting to direct and produce and to write. So whilst I, I personally wouldn't quite call this a feminist film because I feel like it comes up... Short, I do feel, however, it's not a derogatory film. I feel like yeah. it tries its best, but it is very specifically making it for a certain kind of market. And that kind of market at that time was didn't see women in this way. <laughs> and I feel like they maybe try he was maybe trying to get a little bit of these ideas to that market who otherwise would ignore the message if it was maybe presented in a different way.
0: And I completely get that. And it is written by men, directed by men for, at that time, an audience of men. Mm -hmm. Now, yeah, and I think, again, it's one of those things at the time, it's like, again, we hadn't really seen anybody really portray this area of society like that, Mm -hmm. which I think was what was the important part of it. Um, Fonda got an Oscar; her first Oscar for it. Um, and I think she is wonderful in the movie. She
1: is; she's really good. Both of them are really good. But that's
0: why I, like. I like I like Donald Sutherland and how he plays off because Sutherland is very much a, the quiet, quiet presence for most of it, mm-hmm. and is until a certain point, like doesn't even look at Jane Fonda. She, he, he, She's just another person in her case. He seems rather asexual to all of her advances. Yes. Um, and Donald Sutherland has a presence as well because yeah, I think he has the gravitas of a leading man, but not necessarily the looks. So placing him against somebody like Jane Fonda, uh, that has a, a, a good imagery. Yeah, it's it's not just
1: that. Like, he's not a bad-looking guy. I think we have been very... Conditionalized by what Hollywood brings to us, to me it kind of gave it a more realism mm-hmm. because you expect him to be able to. In real life, he would be able to get somebody who looks like Jane Fonda. If Jane Fonda was a normal woman and he was just a normal man, he's a nice guy, absolutely fine.
0: That's it, and I love Donald Sutherland as an actor, especially the era of Donald Sutherland. I just find it like this is the era of the. Again, in his next two films, Warren Beatty's mm-hmm. and Robert Redford's, and these all-American definition of manhood—you know what I mean? It's they are the handsome men of Hollywood, especially yes. of the seventies. Of that—that's
1: it. The seventies were very masculine-related. If you were going to be a man, you were going to be a man. You yes. were going to hit all the boxes you were going to be tough and you were going to fight and you were going to be handsome and you were going to be strong and everything else, which whilst Clute does have that, it doesn't hit all the boxes. So I think that's kind of why I like it. It gives, to me, it's more real. It's not the overt masculinity that a lot of the films from the 70s have or their characters try to portray.
0: Yeah,
1: This is a decent guy. Trying to do right by his missing friend and trying yeah. to then do right by the woman that he ends up falling for,
0: yeah, and I like that, and I think th- there's just so it again it's one of those films where I think makes you do some of the work because mm-hmm. again, if you want to dig deeper, you can and it rewards you for it. yes, it is a decent enough missing person let's find someone film noir. Yeah. However, that is pretty much a MacGuffin of the film. It doesn't really matter. It's, Pakula, I was reading the um, the Criterion booklet of this and he was saying, like, Alfred Hitchcock used to have a rule, don't try and do a character study in, like, an action film. hmm And what Pakula Dio does is he does a very in-depth character study in a very heavily sort of should be plotted movie yeah whereas but however plot is probably third on the bill it's all about the atmosphere it's all about again that paranoia coming through of that era of people being able to record you of people watching you Mm -hmm. either that be through um telescopes or other sort of nefarious means it's that uneasiness yeah um and when you're talking about and i was talking about there before with when brie daniels was in the situation with um the guy uh, with the john and she had all the power and she had all the confidence and she was the one sort of like you would probably say in charge of that situation however straight after she goes home and he feels vulnerable Mm -hmm. but not vulnerable as in like an emotionally vulnerable i mean physically as in she's scared about yeah what who's who's watching her or whatever about her situation um but yeah, it's and to go off on a little tangent. One of my one of the most interesting scenes, especially when when you think about it in the film, is that Brittany goes to see an old man in a textile yes um, factory. Now she tells him this story whilst undressing. I mean, in, in the way that that shot well, that scene is shot. It's very dark. There's only a very minimal light, but she's wearing this sheer dress, mm-hmm. and like she looks incredible, and it, it's just you, you can see the sort of glimmers off the dress, and him just sort of sitting very patiently, very watchingly. Um, so yeah, she's telling this all whilst undressing, and it, it's it's totally captivating, and because at the same time, it's maybe liberating is the one word because. She has all this focus. She is the one in command. However, she's also exploitative. Like it's it's exploitative because Mm -hmm. she's there being paid for. But it's also incredibly sexily shot Mm -hmm. and the content is sexy. However, and it feels titillating, but then you realise what the situation is and sort of the seediness of it. And... The, the, the sort of like the dirtiness of the situation and it is always playing and juggling with that it's like a house of cards yeah it, you, you, yeah because you you, you you tell you you try to show this but also show society's interpretation of it mm-hmm. but also like for example in that scene with that old man that old man is not a threat in whatsoever he literally I think he's just a lonely old man, and like she says, he never touches me. Yeah. So it, it's sort of like a, well, do we really feel, do we feel like that guy's in the wrong, or do we feel sorry for that guy? Or You know what I mean? But that scene itself, it's a quite a long sequence, mm-hmm. one take, and I just find all the different layers within that scene are just fascinating because it plays with the yin and the yang. It plays with the, oh, it's sexy, but... Or should actually be be getting titillated by this? Or look at her; she's like literally in charge of it. But again, she's there because it's her job. That's
1: it, and yeah, so interesting. I I get it, and like especially with that scene, it's like, oh yeah, she's in charge, but she's actually not. Mm. She's not in charge of it it. it at all. Um, Yeah, but no, I agree. That that seems it it is one that definitely sticks in my head because you have, like I said, the very limited amount of light but then when you look at like around them and you can see where they are and so it's it's quite
0: far away yeah it's a long shot and you're going through the factory and it's just sort of like it's kind of like a painting
1: it is and it is i did enjoy the film i thought it was very good it's it's a slow moving film absolutely but it it keeps your attention for it being slow moving. There's a lot to look at. There's a lot to think about. There's a lot to, there's a lot to, you know, read into. So whilst it may not be action heavy until towards the end, it's not going to bore you.
0: No, I think it creates an atmosphere. And yeah. A, there's a lot there to, to, to unfold. And it's like talking about like, again, it's like, we talk about like the men and how they feel like themselves within that society and men and power and there literally is a scene of a, a, a man standing at the window of a skyscraper and then it sort of pans down from that image down the um, skyscraper it's like okay this man is literally on top of the world yes um but also like it, it plays it a villain card very early so it, it's which, again, goes against its noir sensibilities because it's not surprising in the end because I think it does reveal who the villain is very, very early.
1: Yeah, it does reveal who the villain is very, very early. Um, My thing was with the villain that... I (laughs) think you see him in, like, the first scene. He looks miserable there. So it's like, all right, then, well... Just be miserable. So as soon as like you sort of spot him later on being the villain, you just kind of think, okay, yeah, this actually makes sense because he was a miserable so-and-so earlier on as well.
0: But no, I think that is probably enough about Clute. Um, so I hadn't seen it in a fair few years, and it's a, I've started collecting Criterions, and yes. this was a Criterion collection, and God, it looks good. The transfer that they, they've did on it, it looks brand new
1: i i love when john starts collecting these things because he goes oh i saw this and it was like on the sale so i thought i'd buy it i'm gonna start collecting and i go that sounds really good just don't go nuts because we don't have anywhere to store them just yet and then when i ask him to buy me something on i'm on, on amazon, <laughs> amazon prime he goes so, um, I ordered that, but <laughs> I forgot that there was some more DVDs, criteria ones, yep. in my basket. So there's like another five films or something coming. How many films was it? Three. Okay, three films coming.
0: Three. But also, what I will say before we finish is the actual final scene, um, where the villain has got Bree and plays her a tape is terrifying oh
2: god
1: yeah that's awful oh,
0: horrific I thought
1: you were talking about the final scene when they leave the apartment and I was I just going to go the cat survived yes and it was secretly Angel all along
0: <laughs> <laughs> but yeah I think that is it for this episode of his film her movie yes I think it we'll is we'll be back next week we promise we promise we're going to be back next week Um, this has probably been our longest episode yet but hey we've missed this
1: has it been our longest episode?
0: It's been like, what, 57 minutes?
1: Oh, sorry.
0: Hey, don't. No need to apologise. It was a good discussion. Good. But no, um, I think that is pretty much it. As always, go over to wearepodsyndicate.com. Go check out the shows. Mm-hmm. Apple podcast reviews would be very, very appreciative. Yes, please. And that is goodbye from me.
1: And goodbye from me.
0: Later. See you next week.